Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Hey, Sarasota, just a short announcement to let you all know that we are taking the week of the 25th of December off. We will be back the first of the year after over 5,000 listens and almost 100 episodes. We need a little break just like you. So we're going to do that. We will be back at the first of the year with some great new interviews. We even going to launch a newsletter let people know more of what's coming and give you an opportunity to make recommendations of the folks you'd like to see on the podcast. Anyways, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and Happy New Year to all of you. Thank you so very much for tuning in because we know that there's a lot of other options out there. And so this podcast would not exist if we didn't have people that are tuning in. So once again, thank you all. And we'll be back the first of the year. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast. For a small city, we're famous for our art scene. Front and center is our opera, symphony, and art galleries. But what about the art of comedy and improv? Hi, I'm your host, Bob Williams, where I try to find the most fascinating people doing the most interesting work right here in the greater Sarasota area. You see, I believe it's essential to hear each other's stories to better understand one another and our local culture. So every Tuesday and Thursday, you'll hear from your neighbors who are running businesses, writing books, leading our local government, starting a new project, and impacting our town in positive ways. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Will Luera, Director of Improvisation at the Florida Studio Theater in Sarasota. In this episode, you'll learn one thing most people don't know about Will, why Will chose a career pivot from technology to improv, behind-the-scenes look at the improv comedy industry, why maybe you should consider learning a little improv, where you can see Will in action, and much, much more. Thank you for stopping by today. I hope you will listen, learn, but most importantly, connect. Will Luera, Director of Improvisation at the Florida Studio Theater in Sarasota. Welcome to the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Hey, thank you so much. Very excited to be here. Thank you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. And we were talking earlier, and I guess I kind of start off almost all my episodes with this is to let my listeners know that I kind of talk to my guests before we hit record here. But it's funny, (laughs) we were talking about our paths had crossed earlier because I was a member at a local club here 
and you were doing improv, you would come in, the, the members of the club would bring you in and you would teach improv. And I'm so sorry because I never got a chance to actually be a part of that. And I'm a big fan of improv. So, but we're, we're, so we're going to get into all that here in a little bit, your, your comedic background, your improvisation and the teaching that you do and the training that you do and whatnot. But I never let my guest off the hook before I asked him my keynote question, which is what is one thing that most people don't know about Will? Uh, sure. Yeah. I think the, the one thing that people are always surprised to hear about me is that I wasn't uh, classically trained in the arts. I was actually a physics computer science double major in college. Uh, so I went to uh, Boston College uh, specifically to pursue those two majors. Oh, I came out of goodness. high school really. Uh, I mean, ever since I was a kid, like fourth, fifth grade, I was I loved the sciences. And it was just amplified in high school. Uh, same thing with computers, like, uh, ever since like fourth, yeah, same fourth, fifth grade. And, uh, and then when I got to college, I'm like, this is what I want to study. Uh, even though my parents wanted me to go into like medicine and other things, I'm like, nope, I like the sciences. I like computers. That's what I want to do. And so that's what I pursued when I was at, at Boston College. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, a science guy who's now in comedy and stand up and uh, theater. Oh my goodness. What, so what did the parents say when you, when they saw your, your new profession? Uh, <laughs> or should so, I ask? <laughs> right. I mean, it wasn't until, uh, I moved to Sarasota that it became my full time job. I mean, even while I was in Boston up to, you know, eight years ago, I was full time working in IT. Uh, I had some jobs that were actually a cross section of. Okay. Of, uh, of physics and computer science. Uh, but um, when I moved here, it, it took a few, I would say the first couple of years of me being in Sarasota for my parents to finally uh, accept that, okay, this is his new job. Like they would constantly right. ask me, they're like, so uh, what, are you, what are you doing for work? What they would ask me. Yeah, and, sure. And I, and I would be like, no, this is it. This is my job. I moved here specifically for the opportunity to do this uh, as a full-time job. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I have adult children now, and I probably, you know, impressed upon them too much what I wanted them to do. And uh, it, it's tough as a parent to let go and kind of let them find their own way. You want to give them direction. You do it for so long until they're parents, until, excuse me, until they're adults. Yeah. And it's kind of tough to let go. And then you just said, well, you know, if, if, if you did your job, you know, now, now it's up to them to make their own mistakes like you did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, give us some broad strokes background. You know, of your upbringing, because you mentioned Boston and your IT background and, and, you know, how did, how did all that come together for you to be here in Sarasota? Sure. Uh, so I, uh, so I grew up in Chicago, uh, specifically on the south side of Chicago in a neighborhood called Pilsen. I just realized that I'm wearing my, I'm wearing my Pilsen t-shirt right now. Oh, you are. Okay. Yes. I can it's see a, that. It says Pilsen 18. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, specifically it's 18th Street uh, on the south side of Chicago, uh, where Pilsen is. And uh, that's where, that's where I grew up. And I grew up until I was, I, I lived there until I was about 18 and, and ended up going to Boston. And, uh, yeah, I, it was, it was a, it was, a, it was a tough neighborhood when I grew up. It's very different now, but back then it was a, it was a pretty tough neighborhood. Right. Uh, but I enjoyed, uh, studies, but I, I knew nothing about theater. I tell folks all the time, I'm like, I grew up knowing nothing about theater. I, I saw a show when I was in high school and that was like my, my first theater show ever. And I was intrigued by it. 
Uh, I, but it wasn't until college until I pursued it. And when I got to college, uh, even then I didn't know what it meant to audition for a show. I had no idea what that meant. So, um, I missed all the auditions for this, for, um, the, my freshman year. And the only thing that was still auditioning was the improv group. And so I was like, all right, well, let me, uh, let me give that a try. I had no idea what improv was, which is the ironic thing that I grew up in Chicago, but not, knew nothing about improv. Uh, but I go to Boston, I find out about improv, and then that's when I, that, then that's when it took off. Oh, interesting. That's, that's, yeah. you know, it's interesting. I had a gal on recently, uh, Tiana Ramirez, I believe. She owns the Fred Astaire studio here. Oh, yeah. Back in episode 84, I had her on, but she's a fascinating gal because similar to you in college, she volunteered for an assignment that included dance and she just fell in love with it. And right then she knew what she was going to do. And, uh, yeah, she's just opening up a new studio. She's tripled in space and she's just doing, going great gangbusters here in Sarasota. So it's, it's interesting how those things, you know, will form our, our attitudes and opinions going forward and actually help us kind of find our profession. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> so you were in Boston how long then? Uh, I ended up being in Boston for 22 years, much oh, okay. longer than I thought. I, my plan was, um, I've always had like this sort of whimsical way of, of living my life. I, when I applied for colleges, I applied for, like, I would literally walk in to the, uh, college, uh, counselor's office and whatever was the first application I saw, I would pick it up and I would apply to that school. So I applied to colleges all over the, uh, all over the country. And I just happened to go to Boston college. I did and then, too. And only one of them would let me in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I I I I I applied to so many. I applied to ten, and I think about half of them accepted me. Right. Uh, and then and then it came down to to go to going to BC. Uh, but then I took the same approach when I when I left BC. Uh, I applied for jobs all over the country. I'm like, let's see mm, what happens. Sure. And I ended up getting a job right in the Boston area. Uh, so even though I was ready to leave, the job kept me there. And then. Uh, I, I told myself, all right, well, at 25, so I was going to give myself like four years. I was like, at 25, you're going to move to right. New York City. That's what every, at this point, I was already doing improv uh, at night. So I was oh, already wow. pursuing the improv cool. career. Very cool. uh, and I was like, well, every everybody seems to go to New York as their next step. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, but then at the age of 25, I ended up getting hired as the artistic director of Improv Boston. Uh, and that that kept me uh, that kept me in Boston for, for the next 17 years. <laughs> In, uh, in addition to like understanding sort of business infrastructure uh, and all of that, yeah. uh, having a technical background was very helpful later when I started to uh, become a teacher and I started to become a uh, a director as well. Uh, the technical background really helped me, uh, really helped me understand how to pass that knowledge on to others, which was which was really important. So when did you actually see, you know, comedy and improv and I guess theater as a way to make a living? I would say like my, my first, uh, so in 1997, I was fresh out of school and I got fresh out of college and I got cast at Improv Boston. That was the first time that I knew that there was a, a career for what I was doing in college, that there was a possibility of doing it professionally. Right. Uh, but as an actor, it is, uh, you also start to realize that you've got to, you're, you're a gig worker. So you've got to put together right. multiple gigs. So it's not just about doing the live show. 
but it's about putting together as many other gigs as possible. Uh, and so that's when I kind of had an inkling that that this was a possibility. Interesting. And so, so and, and I mean, were you recruited to come down here at the uh, Florida Studio Theater to to run their improv program, or I mean, what led you to Sarasota then? Sure. Yeah. So uh, when I was in Boston, when I was, and running Improv Boston, and like I said, I I I didn't go to school for business administration. I didn't go to school for theater administration. Uh, I just knew what like in, intuitively what would make a theater work and yeah. you know and again going back to what you were saying because of my technical background i knew sort of like what an organization needed to run to run uh, efficiently and effectively so i applied a lot of the same principles to running a theater uh the theater that i ran then grew 10 times while i was running it it grew to like just uh it went from just under $200,000 a year to close to 2 million a year. Oh, wow. And so and during those, uh, during those 17 years, and we went from an, a, a small little like black box theater to now a full facility with two stages and multiple classrooms and a bar and a bunch of other things. So we really were growing during that time. I was uh, in 2009. Uh, I was performing a two person show with a friend of mine so a two-person improv show, uh, and we were looking for new places to perform. And we had just done shows in L.A. We did shows in Atlanta. And so we were just like, where else could we go? And then she reaches out to me. And she's like, hey, I just found this festival in Sarasota, the Sarasota Improv Festival. It's the first one. Do you want us to apply there? And I'm like, sure, let's do it. She applied. We got in. Uh, and I was down in Sarasota July 2009 was the first time I was here. And... I, we did two shows at Florida Studio Theater. I taught a workshop and it was great. I had a lot of fun and I had so much fun that I was like, we got to do that again. So the next yeah. year, uh, we apply again and we come back. And then by the third year, we weren't even applying. They just invited us back. Right. And right. So we were just, we were coming down almost every year. And by then my partner had moved to LA. So I was bringing other people down with me, uh, to perform in Sarasota. And I, and it became a highlight of my year. Like I would make sure that we would, uh, that I would block out that weekend. Uh, and my wife came, was coming with me almost every single year down to Sarasota. Yep. So she had an idea of what Sarasota was like. And then around 2014, which was the sixth, fifth or yeah, sixth time I was down here. Um, I was told that there was going to be an opening soon and that I should just keep an eye on the website for that job. Oh, cool. Opening. Cool. And nobody would tell me what it was, uh, you know, and they would just like, keep an eye on it. And I would, I would almost every week since that trip, I just refresh, look at the website, refresh. And then one day it popped up and it's a director of improvisation. I was like, Oh, okay. That's me. That's me. And, right. And yeah. I applied for it. And like I said, I, I was still working in it and I'll tell you, Bob, like, and this goes like for many jobs in the arts, it's hard to find a full time gig a full-time job that is not just gig working. Oh yeah. There was an opportunity to have a full-time job doing what I love. Uh, and it just happened to be the right time for uh, my wife as well. Like she was looking to transition out of her job. Yep. Uh, and we did it. And that was, uh, that was 2014. We were, we were down here November, 2014. That's really cool because I, because you talk about the gig work and my brother, my oldest brother, Grew up loving music, and you know my father was 
you know, basically an industrial as a businessman. We had a family business and hardware and, and he loved music and wanted to make a living doing that. And so my, I think my, my father kind of browbeated him to go, go into the business, which he did. I always felt like he was a fish out of water. But, you know, it's a very real concern. You know, how do you make a real living doing this? Because of his gig work, you know, it's feast or fast and probably a lot more fasting. So talk about the industry, if you will, a little bit. Um, Actually, before we get into that, I'm curious, what was your first gig like? Uh, Because obviously stage fright, getting in front of people is one of the, the biggest phobias that people have biggest fears in life that they have and, and to think so a lot of people th- to think that they get up on stage where everybody's looking at them they have to tell jokes which just mortify them but what was your first gig like you know i i um i have a lesson i that first gig taught me a lesson that to this day uh you know still holds true and i'll never forget like i showed up i knew that i, I it was like my first show I don't know, November 1997, and I had been cast the previous month, and I knew I had to be there. So I show up, and I'll never forget, like, I show up in jeans, uh, like, like very relaxed-looking jeans, and a T-shirt, uh, a T-shirt that had, like, some dumb joke on it. It had something right. like, uh, if I remember correctly, because I, I could see it in my I could see it in my head. Uh, it did something like, in case of emergency – uh, break here or something like that or right, break this. Right. I forget what it was. Right, right. And on it was a little, like a little plastic case and inside of it was a condom. So oh, uh huh. In case of emergency, break this. And <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget showing up. And then one of my cast members says, are you wearing that? And I'm like, yeah. And I thought, I'm like, Hey, look at me. I'm being funny. I'm being clever. And he, and he's like, uh, he basically said, he's like, you can't, you can't perform with that on. And, and my, my lesson there was, and I didn't, and the thing is, I didn't do a show that night. I was scheduled to do a show and I didn't go on. And the whole idea was we're professionals now. We dress like uh, professionals. You wear uh, a nice pair of pants, wear a nice shirt, you wear nice shoes. You don't show up looking sloppy. And the, the other thing is you don't want to wear something. <laughs> you don't want to wear something that might be funnier than you or that might take away from your performance, that might be distracting the audience. And so this whole dialogue with the condom and everything was just going to take away from who, uh, from me on stage. It was, it was going to distract the audience. So uh, I didn't perform that night and I came back the next, uh, the next night more dressed a bit more professionally. I got to do my show, which was mediocre. I remember just like, Floundering a couple of times, like really. Uh, this this is just singularly you on stage doing stand up, correct? Oh, this is me with a team doing improv. So it's a oh, okay, okay, but, all right, go. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a group of six of us. But what ends up happening is that, you know, when when you're, it's so different from being in college or in a classroom where everybody knows you. In college, everybody knows who you are, and so they kind of laugh along with you. You can play off of them. You know their personalities. Yeah. yeah. When you're a professional, the audience, and especially a new professional, when you're brand new, the audience has no idea who you are. Uh, and so, they're, they're, and so even though I'm trying to be like funny and witty, they were not responding at all. And it was a really big <laughs> lesson to learn. And, and that was just like the difference between like college and pro comedy. Right. I, I went from performing to my co- classmates and friends to now performing to complete strangers with higher standards. And, it took it took a while to finally kind of get uh, figure out how to perform to that level. Sure, 
Sure, you can read about it, you can watch it all you want, but yeah. until you really do it, you know, to get it done. It's it's funny as you were talking. I was thinking of a there was a kid who came out of college football. He's a quarterback, and he came into the pros, and the starting quarterback got hurt. It was a tight game, and so he runs into the huddle. He's all excited. He goes, okay, guys, if you believe in me, he says, we can win this game. He said, one of the seasoned linemen looks at him and goes, shut up and call the play. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and he said, you know, that was his introduction to the NFL and the difference between, you know, rah-rah college and becoming a real pro. So so tell us about the industry itself because – I had no idea before, you know, I brought you on that there were like real positions of improv at a theater because, you know, you think theater, you may be a casting director who puts together plays, but talk about the industry itself. I mean, if someone wanted to begin in this industry, how do you get traction? Is it a deal where you just put together some material, you go to open mic night, you know, amateur night, you know, at McGurdy's or something here, and then you just kind of put your you know, put your reps in. How does that, how does that work? Sure. Yeah. So um, in my program that I, that I run over at Florida studio theater. So I, I'm as uh, you know, I'm the director of improvisation. So I'm in charge of an entire yeah. department and program at our theater. And I often have to tell folks that about 5% of my job is actually performing. Like the show yeah. that I get to do on a weekly basis is such a small part of it. Uh, most of the time I'm teaching, I'm working with different students or I'm doing corporate training, working with different companies. I, I would, uh, most of the time I'm just working on communication and helping folks communicate better using the tools of improvisation. Now, if you're an aspiring comedian or a comedic actor specifically, and I think that's where improvisation, like stand up is really good at developing you as a comedian. Uh, improvisation is great at developing you as a comedic actor, right? So that you're not just, uh, uh, you're not just up there by yourself developing jokes, which is an amazing tool set that, that sure. will help you develop. But in improv, it's like, how do I act funny? How could I do funny things mm. physically? Right. And so we have a program, uh, at, at our school. It's a six level program. Um, you know, and, and, and it starts you from the fundamentals of improvisation and it builds you up like very advanced techniques and. Throughout that level, we as teachers, are, we have eyes on you. We're keeping eyes on you to see, uh, A, how you're developing, and B, are you potentially material for, like, you know, to sort of get pulled up professionally? Is, mm. it, is it possible that you have the chops? And is, is, this, a a de- is this a deal where the uh, Florida Studio Theater, it, it's like you're looking for talent and you would say, hey, this is somebody that we could bring on? or Yeah, yeah, we have like you know, really? our cast. Our cast is comprised of people that have either auditioned in or taken our classes and been promoted in. Uh, and okay. one thing I tell my students is, you could get called up. You could get called up to the bigs at any level. You could be a level one student, a level two student. But if you've got it, we're gonna we're gonna say, hey, you you know, you've got something. Let's get you let's let, let's get you working with the with the pros to see if there's something here. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of other schools that don't do that. A lot of other improv programs will make you finish all the classes. Right. Um, I don't, I really don't think that's fair. I mean, if somebody has the raw talent, then you know, yeah. let, let, let's get them, let's get them moving. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so if you're taking my classes and I see that you, uh, that you have it, we'll move you up. But I also tell a lot of my students to just be, re- be ready for 
a possible wake up call because only because you're the funniest person for your friends and in your friends, you might be the funniest person. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be funny for a, co- for a room full of strangers. It's not translate. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sure. And this could be a big wake up call for a lot of folks. Uh, and they'll come in super confident and some people it does translate. They have a good sense of like universal themes and humor and then others it, it, it doesn't and they kind of just need to be finessed a little bit. Uh, but then, uh, like I said, the people that show the promise and the work, they get, they get, they'll, they'll get called up. And I've had, I've had people that were still finishing classes that get called up to the bigs and they get to, they get, they become professional, uh, professional actors. Really? Yeah. Yeah. How, how big is, how big is the industry? I mean, you know, across this country, is there like a, a, a obviously there's a circuit, you know, you, you hear the Dave Chappelle's, the Robin Williams and whatnot. Those are the folks that, you know, folks, the people like me recognize. But how big is the industry itself where someone could really see it as a profession? So, I mean, it's pretty extensive. I mean, obviously, you have in the improv comedy world, uh, you know, in the stand-up world, you've you've already noted, like, you know, uh, Chappelle uh, right, right. Is, is a big one. Uh, and... Uh, in improv, you have like the whose line is it anyway, folks? Like they're sort of the pinnacle of that. Right, right. Right. And, uh, but below that, there's a pretty, there's a pretty big industry that kind of feeds into all of that. Oh, and I, and mm. I would also add in sketch comedies, which is another flavor, flavor of comedy, right? You have stand up, you have improv and sketch comedy Saturday Night Live is probably the biggest, right, right. Uh, the biggest mainstream, uh, outlet. But below that, there's a pretty big industry of regional theaters. And, uh, and and theaters in, in different cities that allow for people to pursue their careers and to pursue and con, uh, continue to develop their careers. And there are certain cities that are better for other than others. Uh, Chicago will always be like sort of the, the big one that, that that's the big comedy, uh, especially for improv and sketch. Uh, L.A. and New York will always be big for stand up. All right. But then you go more regionally, especially in our part of the country. Uh, Miami has a good scene. Atlanta is probably the big one. Atlanta's got a lot sure. uh, going on. Orlando has a good scene. And then below that, there are other, there's a whole other uh, series of theaters, uh, as well. And that's where like, you know, we fall into Sarasota, et cetera. Uh, Sarasota, uh, the FST specifically has a very unique distinction. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people know this. It's very, what are the, we have the unique distinction of being one of the few theaters in the country. That we, f- we pay our, our improv comedians and our comedians for, for the shows that they do. Really? Uh, most of the time, most of the time comedians are working for free and you're working for maybe a, you know, you know, maybe, you know, a, a, a free beer, right? Or something. <laughs> right? And I've done, I've done plenty of shows for free beers, but we actually, we will pay you. We, we pay you for your work. We recognize. They may work, work for me. I'm, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd much rather have beer than I would wine or, or anything else. <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to love, there, in Boston, there used to be a venue that I used to love uh, performing at because I knew that I was going to get my free cold beer afterwards. <laughs> You know, and, and this is a bit off topic, but I, I have to tell this this very quick story. My father, coming out of the Korean War, was hired by, and I can't, I think it was Budweiser. He was hired by them to go up and down the East Coast at specific bars and buy people Budweiser because they wanted to expand their reach right there. <laughs> and they were, and he, they were going to pay him fifty thousand dollars for six months worth of work. This wow. is back, we're, this is back in the fifties. 
And he said, I had sense enough not to take the job. <laughs> now, I maybe maybe dad's telling me, a, you know, a big one there. But I'm like, imagine being paid in beer, you know. Yeah. I guess, well, he, he, yeah. And part of his pay was in beer. We say he was smart enough not to take the job. <laughs> he would be, become an alky. That's for sure. Oh, my God. Uh, that's so you guys actually pay your... Uh, now, when you say you pay them, is it your your interns or your students or the or the folks that actually come on and and you know are are kind of really part of the the group there? Yeah, once you become a performer, if you're on stage and you do a show, you're going to get paid. You're going to be mm. we're we're going to compensate you for that. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, our students our students get to do shows, and uh, you know those those are unpaid. Those are just student shows. But for our professionals, they they will get compensated. So improv and comedy. Whatnot. I mean, that's that's obviously pretty broad strokes. I, I assume well, is this a growing industry? Because I have noticed, and and maybe just recently I noticed this, there are a couple other venues that are opening up that they're trying to bring in comedic acts, including improv. I mean, for example, back in episode five, I had Greg Campbell. He's one of the owners out there at the Grove Restaurant and uh, you know conference facility, and they do comedy out there i think they recently started in the last year or so and then i can't remember the name of the um uh the amish uh hotel up there on uh clark road yeah i think i think i had a conversation with one of their staff members about they either wanted to start doing it or were doing it again doing comedy of course they're family oriented but so it seems to me like at least here locally that it's expanding it is, and that, that's for me. That's fantastic news. Uh, I like agree. To see more and more stages. Uh, there's a uh, a boba tea bar in Gulfgate called Tuesdays, and they have like two to three comedy nights per week, right? Uh, which is which is great. Uh, and uh, I would love to. Uh, you know, the more of that, uh, that, that uh, the more opportunities there are for our community to develop their skill. That's great. The more exposure there is of the art form. That's great. As long as it's good. Like, that's all I ask for is anyone who puts up a new, a new show, like make sure that it's, that it's a, of, of a good quality. Cause it, in, in the end, it's going to reflect on all, on all the other people that are sure doing will. this. Sure. Yeah. Will. So, so uh, I want to make sure that they're, that, you know, that, and I want to, you know, when I, when I, when I will tell my performance as well, we want to make sure that we're, we're representing the entire community well, uh, cause it is a growing community uh, in general, like all over the, uh, uh, sure. COVID did have a took it, it affected uh, the the, uh, the growth of the industry, uh, yep. but um, it's starting to come back up. And in Sarasota specifically, there's a lot of little venues uh, that are starting to do things, which is great. It's 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 very it's almost like uh, it's almost like soccer. Like you could you could turn anything into a soccer ball and start kicking it around and play a game, right? Uh, Stand up comedy could go anywhere. Just all, all we need is a stage and an audience, and we've got a show. But but you know what I find fascinating, Will is, and, and I'm looking at your website right now, is you know your improv is only kind of a small part of the umbrella underneath you know communications, yeah. Because you know you do improv for life, you do public speaking, active listening, which I'm really fascinated by, team building, creative thinking, funny business, performing every day, etc. How do you integrate some of these other areas into the, the job that you do? And let's, I guess, let's say, you know, how does improv, you know, help you with public speaking and active listening? Sure. Uh, so when I get hired to teach, uh, to teach those workshops, so let's start with public, uh, with public speaking. Sure. 
Right. So um, one of the first things I look at is, you know, before we even get into the improv part of it, I want to see what you're doing physically and vocally and eye contact wise. Like what, what are you, do, what are you doing? What, what do you have control of that, that you can modulate, that you can change in order to get your message across better? And sometimes it's as easy as uh, try to maintain eye contact with the audience, uh, project a bit stronger, uh, stand your ground when you are, when you're, when you're delivering a message, right? So sometimes it's as simple as that. Now, imp- so that's one way that improv can help is how, on how we actually deliver the message. But then the other way that it, that it helps is how you could be agile, uh, and respond to a changing environment, to questions that might come up, uh, to, uh, uh to changes in, 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 in theme or topic. Like if you're in a, like a, in a forum or in a conversation, uh, and that's where active listening comes in. And that active listening in improvisation basically speaks to uh, not getting too caught up in whatever preconceived idea you had. So, you know, if I thought the conversation was going in a certain way, uh, I'm ready to, to go down that direction. But then if the person I'm in dialogue with begins to say something and it's something that is starting to nudge me in a different direction, I've got to be able to respond to that. And I've got to be able to respond to what they're saying and keep the conversation now moving in that new direction or to be able to acknowledge what they said. A, a lot of times you'll hear people not even, you know, and I see this often in like, a, like on political debates. I see like the person not even respond to what was just said to them because they've already have, they have a preconceived idea of what they, they, they have an idea they need to get across. Right, right. So they don't, they don't even respond to it. They just sort of it's, get their, th- their thing. Right, out. right. And so it's, that's it's, where I, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's hopeless at this point when we, they call them political debates. They're, they're really not debates at all. So it's, they're, they're not. It's just like talking points. It's like they're yeah. just trading talking points. But, but I yeah, can see. Go ahead, right. please. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say I can really see, particularly from a business perspective, mm-hmm. um, you are giving a presentation and you get hit from a question out of left field that you didn't really prepare for, and you didn't think through. And yeah, maybe it's a million dollar deal. And I could see where learning how to think on your feet in that moment from improv would be really just essential. And yep. I could really see the value in that. that. That's right. Yeah. And you don't want to get thrown off. Uh, if, if you get that unexpected question, you don't want to, you don't want to get defensive about it. Instead, you want to see it as an opportunity. What was that question? What, what are they trying to, what are they asking of me? And how could I unpack that question a bit more? Right. The, the other, uh, the other thing that struck me about what you offer is, you know, again, the listening aspect, because we live at such a speed now and at such a clock rate that we don't really take time to listen. And actually, I just interrupted you, right? Because you were continuing on. Okay. But, you know, but being able to listen and to really hear what someone is saying and what they're not saying, again, I think is a, is a bit of a superpower. You know, again, whether it's business or, or building relationships, uh, because our minds operate, I think, at such a speed right now, we're, we're always thinking of, again, the next line, train of thought there. So I, I think that's really fascinating. Really fascinating. Yeah. And you know, we, we spend, go ahead. We, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. We spend weeks in our improv classes. You know, sometimes my students will ask me, you know, when are we going to get to the comedy? Uh, cause we spend a few weeks kind of just focusing on observing the other person. You, and 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 I have to tell them I'm like we're gonna get to the comedy, but first I, I need to get you to pay attention to your scene partner, and then and then and then we'll get to the comedy. The other thing that I think is is fascinating 
that you do is you deal with dementia and Alzheimer's patients. Mm-hmm. It's called Healing Moments. And again, it's on your website there, Will WillLuera.com. How do you incorporate that, those skills, into dealing with folks that are suffering from dementia? So there are three ways that I've... Uh that I've been dealing with, uh, with this, uh, and, and, and putting it into practice. One is through the caretakers, the caregivers, uh, where I, where, who are dealing, you know, either their loved ones or patients who are coming in and out of episodes, right. That, and, and having a very, who have sometimes very lucid memories of, of specific events. And I work with the caregivers and caretakers to be able to kind of work and respond to that. So like if somebody uh, goes into an episode of a very specific memory, how do you basically treat that like an improv scene, right? If they think that they are about to go out to dinner with their husband, who's been dead for 20 years, Mm. right? How do we, how do we just treat that as a kind of, as a scene instead of trying to correct them or bring them out of that episode, just play that scene with them until eventually they do come out of that. They'll, they'll eventually come out of the episode just as a, matter of, of, of how unfortunate this illness is. But during that, during those five to 10 minutes of, 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 uh, of, of a memory, we'll just, uh, you know, how do we go with them? And yes, you know, use the concept of yes. And to enter that scene with them. So that's number one. Another one is that, uh, and this is based on off of research, uh, almost as a preventative measure, uh, is uh, the idea of cognitive fitness and using improv games as a way to work out your brain hmm. and work out like, uh, you know, working out new, new neural pathways and new ways of thinking, new ways of holding on to short-term memory and recalling facts. And so we use improv games as ways, uh, as ways to do that. Right. Uh, and then, uh, and then finally, when I, when I'm working with more, uh, with patients that are a bit more, uh, Far a bit further along with the with the illness, uh, what I tend to do is I'll go in, and this usually is my, me by myself, and I will engage in just sort of storytelling with them, and I will tell a story that will that might prompt a response out of you know if I have a, a room of ten to twelve, my storytelling might prompt a response out of them, and then I will incorporate what they're saying into my story. So, wow. so for example, you know if I'm in uh, so, you know, we, we just had Thanksgiving, so I might go into, uh, into a, a, a memory care facility and just start to share a story about Thanksgiving. And then I'll open it up to them and I might say something like, you know, what's your favorite dish at Thanksgiving? Wow. It might be possible that none of them say anything. Yeah. And that's okay. I'm going to continue with my story. But every now and then, one of them will say something and yeah. I will engage with them in conversation and we will incorporate that into our story. Oh my goodness. That, uh, that kind of got me. Um, I, and I'm sure that that's incredibly valuable, particularly to the caregiver to, to see the interactions that happen there. And, and I, I, I know that I, sh- I shouldn't say I know that this works, but I highly suspect it does. And the reason I say that is because I had a fellow on, um, several episodes ago, ago. his name was Michael Finn, Town Square Episoda, excuse me. Oh, Sarasota, Town, yeah. Town Square, yeah. Sarasota is episode yep. 45. And what he does uh, is he takes, I mean, Town Square is designed like the 50s and 60s. So it takes them back during that era in those formative years. And apparently they get a lot of response from dementia patients yeah. in there. And so what you're doing is very similar to that, only in an oral, in an oral sense. 
That's correct. Yeah. And, uh, and it's funny that you mentioned that because we, we were in conversation. We just have to right, right in the middle of a COVID, we started to have the conversation about me coming into town square to do some work and, uh, Cool. You just reminded cool. me that maybe I should pick that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should. You should. Um, because, and also, I just, I always have a heart for these caregivers because you are a caregiver. I have a couple of friends mm-hmm. in this situation. It's just 24 7 with their spouse. And, it's, and to be able to have a break you know, with somebody like you or the town square comes in would be super great. Well, Where's the best place to for people to see you in action? And then we're going to talk about what you're excited about in 2023. But but where can we see you in action? Any, any place coming up here in the next 30 days? Sure. I am almost all the time. I'm at McCurdy's on Thursday nights. Yep. And at Flor- Florida Studio Theater on Friday and Saturday nights. Cool. You will almost always see me on Saturday nights at Florida yep. Studio Theater on stage. Sometimes on Fridays, I'm just watching uh, same thing with McCurdy's. I'm sometimes on stage, sometimes watching, but you'll almost always see me on stage Saturday nights at Florida Studio Theater. Uh, and I try to keep my website, will-lware.com, totally up to date with all that that I'm doing and uh, all that's going on, uh, and uh, both locally and, or whenever I'm traveling. I tend to travel quite a bit uh, to teach as well. You, you know, I do want to finish up here by talking about, you know, what you're excited about in 2023, but I do have to tell a quick story I was at McGurdy's a couple of years ago. We had a friend who went up on stage and you just to paint a scene for our listeners. Uh, his name is Tom Gezzi, uh, Tom and Sue Gezzi, Gezzi, friends of mine. And Tom's actually suffered a stroke in his forties. He's now in his sixties. But what was amazing about Tom's act and it was open mic, you know, amateur night or whatnot. Is if Tom comes from the insurance background, you know, he has a very dry sense of humor. He's a statistical guy. And he had this stroke. And so his, his, his left arm was, you know, his, well, his left arm is paralyzed. And this guy had the, you know, he had the confidence to get up on stage and do an act. And it was hysterical. And he's one of my heroes because anybody with a, um, Anybody that's suffering with with something like that, you know, you, you think they want to hide, but not Tom. He got up there and he told some of the driest, funniest jokes I'd ever heard, and that was at McCurdy's. So, Tom, I just needed to give you a shout out there. So, but, but, uh, so, but, and I'm and I'm pretty sure we were there that same night, Bob. Yeah, he was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Uh, that's it, Tom's a great guy. What? So, what are you excited about in uh, 2023? Um, so, uh, after three years off, we are bringing the Sarasota Improv Festival back. Uh, so, the Sarasota Improv Festival, as I said at the beginning of uh, the podcast, is what got me here. Uh, and for the last, uh, for five of the last eight years that I've had a chance to produce it, uh, it has been a joy for me. It's been great to help coordinate this festival. It is truly a gathering of some of the top improv talents. Uh, in the world. We have cool. expanded our festival to be international. So we bring in people from everywhere. It is a great festival. Uh, and after three years off, uh, we're, we're bringing it back. And so we're, we're very excited. Oh, that's great. Now you see yeah. some of the world-class talent there. Anybody we might know, like Wayne Brady from, uh, I, what, what, uh you know, he's, he's, yeah, a, what was he's that? what's my line. Yeah. Uh, who's my line? Uh, I mean, uh, who's uh, my line? Whose line is it anyway? There we go. Yeah. Whose line uh, is it anyway? 
We 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 have. Uh, I've actually reached out, and he is he is pretty impossible to uh, to book. <laughs> uh, we we had a great show with uh, with Dickie Smothers uh, a few a couple yeah, of years sure. ago. The Smothers Brothers. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, so it takes uh, me uh, way back. Yeah, that 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 was a lot of fun. Uh, cool. And we had other. Uh, I mean, a lot of folks that are very big within the improv comedy world uh, come by, and some. You know, we we had folks. We had sec- uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade out of New York City. One of the biggest uh, groups in the in the country. They they were here for one of them. So, uh, yeah, uh, it, we had a uh, a show, a group called Two Man No Show. They're out of Canada, uh, and one of uh, the actors, Ken Hall, has uh, uh, made it big in a Netflix series. Uh, oh my god, I'm, I'm recall, I can't recall the name right now. Like the the Umbrella Academy. Yeah. So he's big in that, and cool. he came down. Uh, so yeah, we, you you'll get to see either. Uh, yeah, we had another guy from Drunk History. Uh, the, uh, what is it called? Uh, yeah, Drunk History. So he, uh, he was here. So yeah, a lot of either current or upcoming comedians that you'll be guaranteed. To oh, see. that's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, I, I'm definitely going to get tickets for that. Well, Will, I appreciate you so much being on the Sarasota Stories podcast. And that's Will Luera, director of improvisation at the Sarasota Stories. Listen to me. <laughs> director improvisation at the Florida Studio Theater in Sarasota. Will, I appreciate you being on. If someone wants to reach out to you, they can call 617-840-5604 or reach you at will-loera.com where you can find out more about Will. Will, it's been a pleasure meeting you, and uh, we hope to do it again soon. Oh, thank you so much. This has been great, Bob. And uh, I'm a big guy. I'm becoming a big fan of your podcast. I've been listening That's to the cool. episodes. So thank That's you. That's great. All right, Will. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect. Connect.